This is a presentation of BSRN, Box Studios Radio Network. The Power Play Post Show is on the air, covering minor league hockey since 2003, and now covering the Binghamton Black Bears, with news, reactions, and in-depth interviews only heard here. And now, from the Box Studios in Kirkwood, New York, here is your host of the Power Play Post Show, Bob Howard. And hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Power Play Post Show. This is the show for January 25th, 2024. Uh, This is episode 17 of season number 13 and episode number 402 in the long-running podcast. It is the Power Play Post Show. I am your host, Bob Howard. Welcome to the show, everybody. And what an eventful last few days. Uh, Since the Saturday game, Against the Danbury Hattricks, I think for both teams, they are ready to move on from all the drama, I think, that's happened over the past few days. And there are obviously some news around that, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Uh, Today's podcast will be a preview of this weekend's games, a little bit of news from around the league, which really is about Danbury and Binghamton at this point. And we will talk a little bit about some happy stuff that happened on Monday for three of the Binghamton Black Bears. And uh, uh, I'm really happy for those three Black Bears. But let's get going here. Uh, the Power Play Post Show is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. Just search Power Play Post Show on whichever platform you listen to your podcast. And please subscribe. Uh, please join the Power Play Post Show Facebook group. We, just in the last three days, two days, We've got about 20 new subscribers to our uh, Facebook uh, page, our Facebook group. Thank you very much for joining. But just search the Power Play Post Show on Facebook and, uh, you know, please join our group and, you know, share that with our, your friends too, especially if they're hockey fans, especially in the Binghamton area. And even if you're from one of the other FPHL cities, thank you for being a part. And you can always comment in any of the posts that, uh, we post in there. Uh, check out BinghamtonHockey.net for all your Binghamton hockey information and curiosity. And this week on the Power Play Post Show, Binghamton Black Bears forward Tommy Ray. What a great interview. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this interview. As I said in my little kind of teaser about this interview on Facebook, this is one of those stories that needs to be told. And I, I hope we did it justice. I hope everybody hears the true beauty of Thomas Ray. And I hope that he succeeds and goes as far as he really wants to. This is a great interview. I cannot say any more. I hope that every single black bear that listens to a podcast will listen to this podcast. And I truly mean that and listen to this interview. Hear his story from when his father and himself leave Florida, leaving his you know, his mom and his sister in Florida to go seek out this dream of his to play hockey. Uh, Tommy Ray played for NHL coaches when he was a youth hockey player and then eventually went to the Chicago area to get involved with um, a higher form of hockey, of, of you know, good programs out there in Michigan and 
just in just in the Chicago, that whole area right there, you know, Michigan, Minnesota, Illinois, you can find a lot of great hockey programs, AAA programs. Uh, he played generally played up from his age, right? So if he was 14, he was playing with 16-year-olds, so on and so forth. And uh, I, I, it's just a great story. And there's some sadness in his story, which he was comfortable enough to talk about. So I, I hope that you listen to this interview. It's a really good one. And I'm really going to push for people to to listen to this interview. This is a great story from a great kid. It was a pleasure to spend the hour and a half that I did with him, uh, talking to him. He's a great guy, and uh, we're going to make plans the next time I'm at one of the games to just shake hands and, you know, uh, just a great interview. So I, I really hope you guys uh, enjoy the interview, uh, enjoy, the you know, Tommy Ray, and what, what a great kid. All right, moving on. Let's get to the preview of the Black Bears' uh, two games coming up. Uh, the first game will be in Watertown against the Wolves on Friday night. Uh, that'll be a 7.30 puck drop, um, so that'll be uh, coming up. The Black Bears are 5-1 and one, uh, versus the Wolves this season. And before I go any further, I did note that – I did notice that on the Tully's Good Time show that Brooks – who had Dylan. Dylan, hello. Uh, we're going to have you here on the show here uh, real soon, probably in the next couple weeks or so. We're going to have Dylan, the equipment manager, here on the show. I finally got to meet Dylan last Saturday at the game. He came up to me and said hello and enjoyed my show, and I appreciate it, Dylan. Thank you very much. I appreciate your videos that you put out about how you take care of the locker room. Awesome. I think all the fans do as well. And if you haven't, you got to check out the uh, Binghamton Black Bear social media pages, especially on game days. Dylan releases some pretty cool stuff. Um, he takes video of some of the things that he does. And I think it's great. It's a great insight into what Dylan does as an equipment manager and sharpens skates, gets the locker room ready, jerseys, all that kind of thing, all those kind of things. And the Black Bears have done a really great job of marketing that. Uh, with uh, Dylan, which is pretty cool. So, back to the Watertown Wolves on Friday. Uh, oh, I was going to say, Brooks Hill mentioned on the Good Times Tully show that the the they're doing something special for the broadcast. Now, I think for Watertown, it's a very difficult place to go up and broadcast if you're a visiting broadcaster. So, I think they're going to do something kind of cool. Hopefully, they're doing that uh, in the offices uh, type of thing where uh, he's there with you know maybe either Cole or he can bring in a couple of uh, guests to call the game with him, which I think would be very, very cool. So uh, I look forward to hearing about that. Uh, so, Brooks, you could always just drop me a line and tell me what you're doing. Uh, that would be cool too because then I could hype it up here on the show. But the Black Bears are 5-1 and one against the Wolves this season. The only loss was on November 18th, a 5-1 loss in uh, Watertown. That was their first regulation loss of the season. Remember, the Black Bears only have three at this point. Now, against the Wolves, uh, Binghamton has scored 33 goals to only 16 goals scored by the Watertown Wolves. So that is um, a pretty hefty difference between the two. I mean, the Black Bears are scoring... Uh, two goals to uh, Watertown's one goal. Trevor Lord does lead the Wolves and has 15 goals, 24 assists for 39 points. Tate Leeson has 22 goals and 16 assists for 38 points. Both of these guys have burnt us in the past, uh, whether it be physically and or with scoring prowess. So 
those are two guys that you really have to look out for. Uh, now they have two goaltenders that we both we've faced uh, both of these goaltenders uh, this this year, and we've beaten both of these goaltenders. Uh, but I, I don't think it's necessarily because of the goaltender's fault. I, I think Watertown has been in a really crazy state of uh, flux, change, and everything. Uh, Josh Rosenwig and, of course, Eloy Bouchard. Uh, the Black Bears have seen both of those uh, uh, goalies this season. Now, team goals for the the uh, Wolves, they are th- scoring 3.4 goals a game. Their power play is at a 20%, and their penalty kill is 76%. Um, the Black Bears, I put this in here, the Black Bears team goals, they've scored 4.7 goals per game. The power play is at 30% and the penalty kill is at 84%. So when you, when you look at, uh, the two teams, it's, there's no question the Black Bears have scored more. They've scored more on the power play, and their penalty kill is 8% better than the Watertown Wolves. Now, the Watertown Wolves have been in flux. We haven't seen them in a little while, so it could be a little bit different. Uh, the Watertown Wolves in the Elmira River Sharks, who was our game on Saturday, played three games in three nights last weekend with Elmira getting two wins out of those three. Binghamton split their two-game series with Danbury. Now, in the standings, Watertown and Elmira are so close to each other. So I think both of those teams are going to be watching both of these games that Binghamton plays against both of them this weekend because, obviously, they're trying to get themselves out of the basement. Whoever's in the basement, they're looking to get out of the basement. And I will say this, and let me pull up the standings real quick here, uh, fans, just so I can kind of really speak accurately to this, especially at, at this point in the season. Uh, what I really enjoy is that right now Watertown has 10 wins, right? They're the fourth place team. Danbury has 16 wins and uh, Motor City have 15 wins, but Motor City has more regulation wins. Right now, four out of the five teams this year have 10 wins or more in the Empire Division. And I don't see Elmira not winning the rest of the way. I see them winning. I really truly believe that Watertown and Elmira will probably hit 15 wins or more this season. They may finish in fourth and fifth place this year, but they're still going to get wins. These aren't horrible teams. I think Brian Verbreek, no matter what you think about his tactics, so to speak, you know, maybe sending players out or whatever, and or, and or Tyler Jurich, um, no matter what you think of these two uh, coaches or these two teams, they're not rolling over for anybody. They have skill on these teams, and they can win games. That's why Binghamton this weekend has to really take one shift, one period, one game at a time, and not overlook these two, knowing that they have three games in the next two weekends against the Motor City Rockers. These two games, they have to, you know... Really be ready for them. I did speak to Coach just very very quickly today um, about some of the news that we'll talk about here in just a few seconds and everything. And he said, listen, I got to get my mind on looking at video for Watertown and Amira this weekend. So without a doubt, um, you know, these are two very important games. Well, let's preview the game on Saturday. Now, the game on Saturday is against Elmira. Uh, the the team is four zero one against the Elmira River Sharks this season. Um, so 
haven't been beat by river by the river sharks in regulation yet. Okay. Now, one of the things that's important about this game on Saturday, the doors open up at three o'clock. There is the Heart Cup game, which is the police officers against the firefighters at the arena. This is a very important game. And then the jerseys that they have, which are really nice jerseys. Very, very nice. Very, very sharp that they'll be wearing. The Black Bears will be wearing. These are the first responder jerseys. Very well done. I think the Black Bears have really hit it out of the park this year when it comes to the specialty jerseys that they have been wearing. Either way, uh, the point here is uh, you can, you can for $15, you can get a combo ticket to see both games. Um, I know the Black Bears announced uh, earlier today that there are about 1,500 tickets left. So that obviously, so it's selling good. So if you go, you get a ticket for $15, you can see both games. And it's pretty cool. And you're supporting the police officers and you're supporting the firefighters when you go and check out that game, which will be pretty cool. Now, the only loss was an overtime loss on October 26th. Uh, that was a 4-3 to three overtime loss against the Elmira River Sharks, and that was on October 26th. Now, very similar, but maybe a little bit less in numbers, but we've played a few less, a couple less games. Then against Watertown, Black Bears have 31 goals for and have only given up 17 goals. So just under that that one, you know, two to one goal ratio. Uh, Stephen Klink has 14 goals and 16 assists for 30 points for the Elmira River Sharks. And uh, David Gayet, I probably pronouncing it wrong. I do apologize. 10 goals, 11 assists for 21 points. I haven't heard his name pronounced too many times yet, and I have to hear it a few times before I get it right. Sammy Bernard and Eli Bowers um, are the goaltenders for the Elmira River Sharks. The Black Bears have faced Sammy Bernard, but we have not seen Eli Bowers. I think he's only got a few games on the season as it is right now. Now, the team goals uh, for the Elmira River Sharks 3.5. Remember, the Black Bears score 4.7 goals per game, so very similar to Watertown, uh, you know, it's about just over one goals, 1.2 goals more than the Elmira River Sharks. Power play, increasingly better, uh, 30% for the Black Bears and, of course, 21% for the River Sharks. The penalty kill for the Black Bears is 84%. 10% higher than the 74% for the Elmira River Sharks. But they are making improvements in Elmira. I truly believe it. I believe that Watertown is also getting better. So that's the games this weekend. So just remember, special broadcast from the Black Bears on Friday night. And then, of course, the Hart Cup game on the uh, the uh, Saturday before the uh, Black Bears game, and you can get a ticket for $15 that will get you into both games, which is pretty cool, less than 1500 I really hope they get 4000 uh sold for Saturday's game. Keep increasing that that attendance and get it back up to where it was last year at the end of the season, about 3800 Right now, there are about 36 plus hundred, and I would like to really get to see it back up to the 3800 Even with the price increase, it would be uh, good for this to happen. All right, so let me discuss in detail the Bryce Farrell and Chase Harwell suspensions and fallout. You know, I, I was going to go into great detail about this, um, but I've decided to to not do that. I don't want to go overboard. I don't, I don't want to react. Kind of like I did on Sunday's uh, broadcast where I 
kind of got a little fired up and everything. What I want to say about this is, again, as I said on Monday morning in my little Facebook Live uh, thing, uh, this league is very young, and it's not being run by people who I think – I think – well, first of all, I know Don Kern has been in hockey for 40-plus years. So I know he he knows hockey. I think I think it's tough to make decisions and be a leader – in the world of any sort of business when you may only be advised by a couple people. I, I, and then and what I mean by that is who's really in the ear of Don Kernan, right? You have 11 teams. You have one, t- uh, one owner that owns five teams, and then you have six other board of governors. Uh, and one of them is Don Kernan, so you really only have five others. I, I don't know if there, that's enough people to provide enough insight. Don Kernan obviously needs to have people advise him, right? Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean that it's always good to have people that you can go to, get advisement, discuss things, whatever. He's got Dave Jackson. He's got Paul Jean, uh, the head of officiating those type of people that could go to him. But at the same time, I think Paul Jean's a little bit too involved because he does get on the ice and and whatnot. So I think what it comes down to is, is, you know, the Bryce Farrell, Chase Harwell situation, it is what it is. And I still go back to the fact that if the referee who was on the ice, William Lyons, staring down Dina Cola and Andrew Logar, if if he would have called two penalties there, none of this happens. None of this craziness afterwards over the last couple of days would have happened. And there was a lot of people really kind of upset within the whole league in many different places, different levels. They were really upset about this whole situation. This blew up in a way that wasn't good for the league, wasn't good for Danbury, wasn't good for Binghamton, wasn't good for Coach McCreary wasn't good for, uh, you know, uh, Brant Sherwood. Definitely, I mean, even Watertown followed suit, you know, and, and probably just not good for them. This is not a good look for everybody. And I think the only thing that's really going to really help this league get better at this point is to not suspend people who cannot directly – be pointed to as you're the problem in this league. So what I mean by that is, is I don't think Brant Sherwood and Billy McCurry are bad for this league. Okay. You, no matter what Danbury fans think of Brant Sherwood, no matter what fans from uh, Binghamton think of Billy McCurry or that organization, those two people are not affecting the league as much as, Bad officiating, uh, inconsistent suspensions, those type of things. That's what the league really needs to clean up. They don't need to clean up Billy McCurry, who is on a bench trying to get his team back into a game and did not have control of Chase Harwell. And I don't mean that he didn't have control of him. You can't control a guy who just came off the ice after a shift and then four or five seconds later is back on the ice. Billy can't control that. He can't stop him from doing that. Now, Brent Sherwood, you know, when when the two guys came off the ice 
for or off the bench from Binghamton. Brant Sherwood was yelling at his players, do not go, stay, 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 because he knew this was a bad situation. Now, Farrell was already on the ice, gets into the altercation. Dave Jackson had a basically a ruling. This is what he said. This is his vision of what the rule was, which was that Farrell, when he came off the ice, he did not make a hockey play. I think he worded what he said wrong. He came out and said his intention was to not play hockey, but to fight. And I think that probably is the wrong interpretation of what he was trying to say. I think what Dave Jackson was probably trying to say was that he went out there and he did not complete a hockey play. And if he would have completed a hockey play first, like say the puck got to him and then he passed it to somebody else and then he went after Harwell, then I think that that would have been a hockey play. But instead, he goes out on the ice, and for and as things escalated a little bit more in the neutral zone, he goes after a Farrell. Now, this all happens quickly, four or five seconds. This type of thing happens. And I think that's the reason why the appeal was not overturned for him. Now, I do have pulled up, and I, I want to read both of these uh, from the Binghamton Black Bears, their their things. Okay. So the first statement was from the Binghamton Black Bears due to the recent suspensions and rule changes implemented by the FPHL. The Binghamton Black Bears have named Tom Reynolds as head coach. Brent Sherwood will continue with the organization as an assistant coach after serving his suspension, which our organization will appeal. With the recent rule changes and unpredictable, inconsistent suspensions being handed out. We felt this was in the best interest of the hockey club, Andreas Johansson. Okay. Now, they came out later or earlier today, earlier this evening, believe it or not, as I'm recording this, another statement from the Binghamton Black Bears. The Binghamton Black Bears are pleased to announce that Brant Sherwood has been reinstated as head coach effective immediately. We would like to thank Commissioner Don Kernan, Director of Player Safety Dave Jackson, and Director of Officiating Paul Jean for working with us on our appeal of the suspension. Furthermore, I would like to apologize to the FPHL Board of Governors, member organizations, and staff that have been negatively impacted by our previous statement. So essentially, I think what happened here, folks, is that everybody kind of got together with cooler heads, okay? And essentially what happened is the Black Bears made their appeal, and I knew that they were making an appeal. Uh, Brent Sherwood and I talked uh, yesterday for a good 40 minutes, and essentially he came down. He basically said, yeah, we're appealing this, and we sent our appeal in. And so they did that. And I think that the conversations all probably happened today. Meetings with Dave Jackson, Paul Jean, Don Kernan, Andreas. There was probably one also for Billy McCurry as well. And I, I personally think a conversation had, was, was had by everybody. And I think the conversation basically came down to how are they going to use that suspension rule that they kind of announced and then clarified and whatnot, about the 50% for coaches. And I think that there is no way to prove that a coach has sent out the player onto the ice. And unless you see a guy tap him on the shoulders, and there's already five guys out there, and he's sending out another couple guys, I don't think there's really a way to do that. Um, 
I, I think it's very interesting um, that we may not get clarification on this, okay? And we may not know. There are a couple other things that we need clarification on that we don't know, which is how long is the roster spot going to be affected for the Black Bears? Is it going to be six games for the uh, the suspension for coming off the ice? that rule that was interpreted that way by Dave Jackson, or will it be seven games because he also got the one game for the the aggressor penalty, which 100% is completely valid. The six games for the other is not necessarily as valid, at least in my opinion. So that needs to be cleared up. I've already reached out to a couple people to ask them how long will this suspension or the roster reduction for the Binghamton Black Bears be? Will it be six games or will it be seven games? I have a feeling it's seven games. I think because he was suspended all in one shot, one game for that, six games for that, it's going to be seven games that he'll be because it's multiple games, right? And so I I really do think it's going to be seven games. That's fine. Um, And so the other thing we need to clear up is before this weekend, we need to know the status of Jake Schultz after the hit from Chase Harwell on Saturday night in the first period where he may have uh, an upper body injury. I, you know, with all the craziness that's happened this week, I haven't been able to talk to Brant Sherwood about that. Um, So hopefully we'll find out within the next day or two uh, how that's going. We'll obviously know on on Friday night if he plays or doesn't play. Now, if he doesn't play, I did post in the Facebook group, okay? And uh, if I can get over to that real quick, I can actually talk about it for just a few seconds because it does preview this weekend a little bit, right? So if we look at the forwards, Gavin Yates, Tyson Kirkby, Austin Thompson, they could be on one line together. Nikita Ivashkin, Jesse Anderson, and Donald Oliveri could be on the second line. The third line could be Andrew Logard, Jesse Fletcher, and... Connor Smith. Defensemen could be Schultz and Walters, Bonn and Stone, Weber and Liam Anderson, right? Connor McAnanima, Sam Levici. That leaves Thomas Ray out. Now, if Schultz can't play, Jesse Anderson probably could move down to the um, Jesse Anderson could move down and play defense for Schultz, and then you fit Tommy Ray into that configuration somewhere. Now, can he be a center for Nikita Ivashkin and Donald Oliveri? I'm not sure. They might mix things around just a little bit more to get Tommy Ray in there. So we don't really know. But what we do know is if everybody's available for Friday, including Schultz and Donald Oliveri, I don't know if he's going to travel with the team up to Watertown, but if everybody's available, someone is going to sit because you have 18 guys with Tommy Ray being on the four-game PTO. So it'll be interesting to see what the Black Bears do in that. All right, so that is that. Um, I do want to just say real quick before we go on, uh, there are four teams with a roster spot down due to the new rules and the coaches that are suspended. Um, as well. Uh, but they are Mississippi, Binghamton, Elmira, and Danbury are all playing with a roster spot down. Now, the coaches that were supposed to be suspended at this point, but are not now, well, Brant and Billy are not, but Joe Pace Jr. is. Okay. So, um, let's do just a quick highlight. Um, if you if you watched the Tully's Good Time show, you heard uh, Tom Reynolds went up with um, the Black Bears, Sam Levicki, Levici, um, Nolan uh, Egbert, and Connor McAnanima up to Syracuse Crunch to do the skills event on Monday. So 
what's pretty cool is the Syracuse Crunch once a month do a skills uh, competition, skills drills. Basically, they go up there and they let the forwards do a lot of work with the goaltenders. And it's kind of like a three or four session type of thing. So it takes a good portion of the day. Sam, Nolan, and Connor got to go up and be a part of that. I spoke to Nolan a little bit um, on Facebook talking about this and they were just ecstatic. They just had a great time, learned a lot. If you listen to Tom Reynolds, he got to sit down with Bouchard, who's the uh, coach of the Syracuse Crunch, and they just talked about hockey and about everyday life. And that's great, right? Because you're building a relationship with an AHL team. And it doesn't mean that guys are going to get called up to the AHL from the FPHL. But there's a working relationship now. There's a good feeling. Jim Sorosi is a very great general manager. Um, I worked with Jim Sorosi. I've, I've known him for many, many years. He is a an, an amazing person, a good hockey guy, um, and Syracuse is really lucky to have him. And the American Hockey League is great, is good to have Jim Sorosi up there. And Jim Sorosi and um, Tom Reynolds, and I, I loved it because Tom was talking about, hey, I've known uh, Jim Sorosi for about 20 years. I'm like, going, wow, that's about the amount of time that I've known Jim Sorosi. And uh, the Syracuse Crunch were one of the first teams to actually reached out to me and when I was starting this podcast almost 20 years ago and got me involved with covering their team as well as the Binghamton Senators at the time. So very, very cool organization. They've always loved and respected their relationship with the city of Binghamton and the hockey people here. So great. This is a great highlight. Great for Sam. Great for Nolan. Great for Connor. Great for the Binghamton Black Bears. Maybe it gets a little overshadowed with all the craziness that's been going on. Um, but it's great to see that, first of all, the Black Bears, Brant Sherwood, is not suspended for what happened on Saturday. Uh, Pharrell is still suspended for the seven games. His appeal was not won. Billy McCurry, he's not suspended. That's great, obviously, for the Danbury Hattricks and just good for FPHL. Shouldn't have been done anyways. Okay, so that's all that part of that. Let's get to the Tommy Ray interview Folks, this is a great interview. I hope you enjoy it. It's uh, it was it was awesome to be able to get to talk to him, and I and I feel like we shared a pretty cool couple moments in this interview. So, nevertheless, here we go. Uh, interview with Binghamton Black Bears forward Tommy Ray. We'll be right back right after this, right here on the Power Play Post Show. Hi, this is Don Biggs from the 92-93 Binghamton Rangers. Hi, this is Brandon Bochinski. This is Grady Wittenberg, the voice of the Binghamton Senators, and you're listening to the Power Play Post Show. Here is another Power Play Post Show interview exclusive with Bob Howard. And welcome back, everybody, to the Power Play Post Show. Great to have this gentleman on. He comes to us from the Binghamton Blackbeards. He is one of their forwards. He is Thomas Ray. Tommy, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. Yeah, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Uh, I, you know, Tommy, I know that Tuesday nights is uh, Tully's Good Time show with, uh, with the Black Bears and everything. Uh, it's an interesting show probably tonight because the new head coach of the Binghamton Black Bears, uh, Tom Reynolds, is there. You guys probably were kind of like thrown a little off with the, everything that happened uh, this week. But one of the things that I talked to Brant Sherwood about is, is that he wanted to make sure that 
Andreas and, and he and, and Tom Reynolds uh, took care of all the stuff so you guys could just concentrate on the play on the ice. Uh, I got to imagine it's good to have a coach like that who thinks out for you guys like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the way uh, the staff here, the coaches, Dylan, uh, our trainer, and all the other trainers that are going to get mad at me for not saying their names, but everyone has uh, really done everything that they can to make sure that we have everything that we need and that we're in the best situation possible and that we can just focus on what we're here to do, which is play hockey. And that was kind of uh, how he addressed us this morning. Um, although we all, you know, kind of knew uh, through word of mouth and, you know, just got the gist of the situation, he just wanted to address us all and said, hey, look, you know, we're going to handle everything behind the scenes. Yeah. We'll, we'll deal with all the things that we get thrown at us, and you guys just worry about doing what you've been doing, which is playing great hockey, and that's uh, it's a, we couldn't be uh, more grateful and more blessed to have have them uh, looking out for us in the way that they do. Yeah, I, I think you guys are in great hands. Um, obviously, with the staff and everybody there, I've talked to Brant many times, and uh, I know he's got a good head on his shoulders and everything he's looking out for you guys. So, um, why don't you tell the fans if they don't know where you are from? Because it's not your traditional hockey you know, state, maybe, so to speak. But tell everybody where you're from. So I was born in Longwood, Florida. Um, I always kind of say Orlando because um, that's kind of one of the it's, – it's a known region of sure. Florida. Um, Longwood's just a, a suburb of Florida. But I am I'm a Floridian, um, and that is, is definitely something that – We'll kind of get people looking at you funny when you start talking about hockey because nobody really pieces uh, Florida and hockey together. Um, but believe it or not, it's actually becoming uh, very prominent in the South and in the state of Florida. Uh, I think everybody's kind of caught the hockey fever. Um, Which is great. Yeah, that is. It's actually funny how, uh, how it came to be, too. My, my father was a baseball player, and so he put me in T-ball when I was like three and uh, we, you know, being three-year-old kids were just kicking around in the dirt and doing nothing. <laughs> and he was standing, and he was standing out in the Florida heat, uh, which can be brutal. And he got the bright idea of taking me to the hockey rink where he could sit in a nice air conditioned building and watch me do whatever I was doing. And, and from there, um, that's where I fell in love with the game and, and the rest is, the rest is history. Yeah, let's talk a little bit of, though about growing up in Florida because obviously there's the Panthers, there's the Lightning. Uh, I think there's the Florida Everblades, uh, which are a play in the ECHL, um, if I remember correctly. Um, so there is pro hockey down in Florida, and there are hockey rinks all through Florida, small rinks and everything, community-sized rinks in some cases. And, of course, there's uh, you know four or five pro-type rinks in Florida and everything. Can you talk to me about the accessibility? Was it hard when you were you know four, five, six years old just getting into it to find ice time? So... Fortunately for me, I was I was pretty close to one of those ranks. Uh, I think there's a few more in the state now, but they were a bit of a rarity. 
at the time, uh, which was a which had its pros and cons. The hockey community in Florida was a very tight knit uh, community, especially because of the um, lack of access. But um, if you knew the right people and you put yourself in the right situations, uh, there was definitely uh, very uh, plenty of opportunity to to train and to get on the ice, and that's that's just kind of how uh, how I went about it. Um, just being a rink rat and uh, being around, helping coaches, uh, getting to know you know different people, and and getting opportunities to to train and to play. Um, and then it was always uh, kind of a treat when you got to go to one of those big-name arenas and, and practice on their ice and meet some of the players and and do those sorts of things. So, um, actually, the rink that I uh, skated at was the home of the Orlando Solar Bears. Oh, okay, yeah. In the, in the, in the ECHL. So, and the Orlando Magic as well. It was kind of like a big hodgepodge there. It was a rink... Uh, a gym, very big gym on one, on the other side of the ring, mm-hmm. um, and a hospital, which I think was convenient. Um, but, <laughs> or ironic uh, for a hockey team to play yeah, there, right? Yeah, and you can, like, on the way over to the gym, you could see, like, they had this, like, Orlando Magic set up, and then they had, like, you know, all these, like, basketballs and all these shoes, and, you know, you could, like, stand at them and see how big these guys shoes were and all that stuff as like a kid and all that yeah. and then yeah there was the solar bears too and you could catch them practicing every once in a while so it was the yeah it was their practice facility and then you know they played the amway so that was uh it was always fun yeah it's it's kind of funny i forgot about the solar bears and, and with them being down there and whatnot now obviously what kind of hockey teams were you a part of before you made that transition up to Chicago and in, in the Midwest and everything to be a part of the HPHL? What kind of hockey programs were you a part of in Florida? So growing up, when I started playing, I started playing for the Orlando Junior Stars. Okay. Um, and that was just uh, that was right after many mites, like half ice, many mites, or whatnot. Um, and then uh, that was my home rink. And then I went to Brandon, which was about Brandon Ice Arena, which was about uh, an hour and a half away, mm-hmm. uh, to play for the Bulls, uh, which was short lived, but. Um, that was kind of what you had to do if you wanted to find good hockey. You had to uh, kind of branch out. Um, so, like, the next closest rink from the rink that I skated in was in uh, Kissimmee, which was an hour away. And then there was Tampa or Ellington, which, again, you're looking wow. at an hour and a half, two hours. Sure. Uh, so I actually ended up on the Tampa, a team that was called the Tampa 2000. It was a birthier team out of Tampa, which was two and a half hours away from me. Wow. So I would actually get out of school. My dad would pull me out of school early, and I would do my homework in the car on the way to Tampa for two hours and then practice and then back two hours to get bet, get to bed at midnight just to rinse and repeat. And then that team uh, kind of got accused of cherry-picking, I guess you could say, uh, players from all over the state. So. Mm. The league itself, uh, Sayhoff down there, banned us from playing in, in the Florida League. So we became a travel team. 
And our coach at the time was John Tucker, who played for the uh, Lightning. I think he played for the Sabres as well. And sure. Mike Pavanka, yeah. who played for uh, Caps. Uh, so they, uh, through their connections, actually got the Lightning to sponsor us. And that's when we became the Tampa Bay Junior Lightning. And we became a travel team. And we uh, were like the only AAA team in the state besides like the Florida Alliance. Uh, which was way down in Miami, and we would go, we just became strictly a travel team. We would go to nine, ten tournaments a year, um, which actually is how I ended up in online school because uh, I was away so much Mm -hmm. uh, during the school year that they were handing me, like, weeks of homework that I had no idea how to do because, like, that's all they could do. They're like, okay, he's going to be gone for three weeks. Uh, Here you go. And so then I... My dad got the bright idea of, of online school so I could kind of get ahead right. and do that sort of thing. And then after that, uh, played for the uh, back at my home rink uh, for the Junior Knights, um, which now, like, uh, they have a club team down there, the UCF, uh, the Knights. Um, and, yeah, so I played U14 AA for them. And I was, I was 12 years old at the time, and... Um, I was also playing high school hockey. I was playing varsity high school, um, just kind of as like a fun thing to do uh, at the time. And through clips of me playing varsity high school hockey in Florida at 12 years old and uh, playing for the junior nights, I uh, got sent to a coach, uh, Greg Nemenko in Chicago, and he invited me up for a tryout, and that's when I – made the jump at 13 the next year over to play uh, U16, actually, in Chicago. Well, and that's kind of how that all started. Yeah, before we get to that, there's a couple There's a couple things that i I, I got to bring up. You you were playing on a AAA team that had a couple coaches that played in the NHL, and they were accused of cherry-picking good players, and that's why the, the, the one league didn't want you guys in that league anymore. But I got to imagine the players that were playing on that team, even though we're talking about youngsters, we're talking about young players, they had oh, to be yeah. very highly skilled because, you know, two NHL coaches or two NHL former players are not going to just, you know, have uh, the, the runabout kind of uh, player. They're looking at skilled players and they're teaching you skills that you're not getting from regular everyday coaches you know, that never played in the NHL before. So that had to be an advantage for you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. At at that age, I can remember uh, learning things that uh, as I'm kind of uh, getting into coaching myself now, you don't necessarily see kids at that age being taught the things that we got taught. I mean, we we learned about systems. We learned about traps. We learned about, uh, you know, offensive zone rotations and defensive zone positioning and penalty kill and and i think that's what kind of set us apart and that's where uh people kind of had the the frustration is you know the the coaches really treated it like you know we're going to build a team here and we're going to win and we're going to teach these kids how to play hockey and yeah and that's kind of you know just the the approach that they took and and it worked and you know the because of the uh uh what's the where I'm, I mean, I guess the, the prestige or, like, the resume that these guys brought to the yeah. table, um, people were willing to to 
spend the extra money and the extra time to go out of their way to, to give their kids the best opportunity at, at you know, playing this game and, uh, and learning from the best. And, and, yeah, I mean, I couldn't have asked for a better situation. And, uh, yeah, it, it, was, uh, it was fun. And I, I know uh, there's a couple of those kids now. One that comes to mind specifically is Mike Kavanka's kid, you know, Jake. Jake Kavanka, mm-hmm. I believe he's playing in the coast right now. Sure. Or he might be in the A. Uh, I'm not sure. I was kind of I was looking at his EP the other day and just kind of checking up on him. And uh, yeah, I mean, kids that uh, definitely had had a, a different level of ability than than the average the average player. Right, without a doubt. And before we get to the Chicago part, but this leads us into really Chicago and, and what he did for you. How important was your dad in, in 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 this journey for you when it when you were a youth hockey player and he was driving you two and a half hours to go to a practice or to a game? How important was your father just really in your childhood? You know, getting you to to become a, the hockey player that you are today. He was my best friend. I mean two hours back and forth in a car. Yeah. Took me to the rink every single day. Uh, he was, he had the ability to work from home. So he, he, uh, was able to like just be a complete part of my life. And he, I mean, he did everything and he, he was, he was everything. He was, he was the person that supported me uh, in every which way possible. When I was struggling, when I wasn't, mm-hmm. you know, he he pushed me. And at the time, I uh, didn't necessarily understand it. Or, uh, and when I say I don't mean like I uh, understand it in a bad way. It's just that sure. I I was just a kid having fun. Yeah. you know what I mean. And and trying to you know. Uh, be a people pleaser, I guess you could say, in a little bit of a way. Like you know, you want to make your dad proud. You mm-hmm. want to, you want to be doing the right thing. So I, I worked hard, and I, I was always on time. And you know, he, he really taught me how to be responsible, how to be uh, mature, how to, how to handle myself, uh, and how to go about something. And, and it wouldn't have mattered what it was, if it was hockey or if it was anything. He held me accountable, and he he made sure that I was doing the things that I needed to do. And he he saw something in me that I didn't even know was there mm-hmm. uh, from the start. And I, I think that's why he pushed me so hard because he knew that I could do something, whatever it was, whether it was hockey. That if I applied myself, I would I would succeed. And and he he really instilled that in me. So he was he's 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 the guy who raised me. Yeah, you know, he's the man who raised me, and uh, I couldn't have asked for a better father. Yeah, you, know? you, 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 you said it in a past tense. Is um, is he not with us anymore? No, in uh, in twenty twenty one, he had developed a heart condition a couple years prior, and um, in October of twenty twenty one, he he passed. He um. Yeah, he just he went to bed, and and that was that. Do do you, do you think about him every time you get on the ice now? Because you're a pro hockey player now, and I got to imagine 
just from what you're telling me, best friend and the guy who drove you two and a half hours to the rink and everything, um, I got to imagine he would have been very proud to see that you after you took the break from hockey to come back and to play and to get on the ice and to to score the, I think you've got eight goals right now um, on the season here with uh, Binghamton. I'd imagine he'd be so very proud of you. Yeah, I was actually talking with my girlfriend about that uh, just like 30 minutes ago. It's funny, mm. it's funny you say that because I was just kind of thinking about, you know, what he would think and, you know, how he would feel and what he would say and right. things like that. Um, but he uh, he lost his father at a young age. Um, his dad worked on the deck of a, or actually the uh, underneath of a warship in World War II. Um, oh, jeez. And uh, <clears throat> he got uh, cancer. Uh, died at like 50 years old, which is why uh, my dad was uh, on the older side. Actually, had me when he was 49. So when my mom said she wanted to have a kid, he was looking at her like, with me? Like, you kidding? <laughs> like, I'm like 49. 49 and, you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I think that's part of why he raised me the way he did, because he was kind of like, I'm not, he, like, and it was kind of something that, like, he, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but he like he taught he's like I'm not going to be here forever, and right? I, you know you gotta, you know there's going to come a time when you need to step up and 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 be a man, and that's you know. But so, uh, but he he one of the things I remember distinctly that he would tell me uh, is that his his father talked talked to him more when he was gone than he did when he was there. And what he, what he meant by that was, like, you know, all the things your parents tell you mm-hmm. that you roll your eyes at and that yep. you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know, you know, you just don't want me to have fun or you don't even, you know, quit <laughs> ragging on me, you know, that sort of thing. Right. I know exactly what uh, you're talking about. But, I was like that with my mom. Yep. 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 But then when you're off and on your own or when they're gone and all of a sudden you start kind of, you start telling yourself those things. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of laugh to yourself because it's like, you know, that's what my mom used to say. That's what my dad used to say. Yeah. And so it's one of those things where, like, you know, every time I'm on the ice or every time I'm just going through life, you know, I I think about him and it's it's like, you know, I, I can hear him. I can hear him telling me, you know, whenever I make a mistake or if I, you know, do something that I shouldn't do or even, you know, if I do something I should do, you know what I mean? Like, it's Whatever, it's just like, you know, you become more like them in yeah. a way. Uh, you, you do. You start doing the things that you really should have done when they were telling you to do it. Now that they're not, you're like, all right, it's time to, it's time to listen to old dad because he was right. <laughs> and uh, and that's, uh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, you're, you're well, absolutely right. He- I, I think about him a lot. Well, he, then he took you to Chicago, which you said that that's where he was kind of from, and you know, Bears, Blackhawks. Uh, that you, I think you said Cubbies, right? Yep. Yeah, yep, he was a Cubs fan. Yeah. Which, funny enough, they won the World Series on his birthday. He's a baseball uh, player, and when they finally broke the curse, it was November second. Yeah. Uh, they yeah they won the they won the World Series on his birthday, which was really really cool to to see. He was. 
he was happy about that one. Oh, I, I could only imagine. But he took he's the one that took you to the Midwest, to Chicago, where you could play in the, the high-performance hockey league. And uh, can you talk about those four or five years that you got to play in that league? And how did it help your you know, uh, you know your improvement and on the ice, and just just talk a little bit about uh, the high performance hockey league, the HPHL, and what that what what kind of hockey that's like because it is hockey. It's triple A, and and there are players that have played pro from that. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's it was a different level, and I know saying that it's like yeah, duh, but uh, it's especially in that league, because there is the Tier 1 league, the AAA league, and you travel around and play those teams. But that league specifically, it was six teams at the time. It was the Chicago Young Americans, the Chicago Mission, Team Illinois, uh, I believe Honey Baked, Little Caesars, and Compuware. And we would have uh, showcases and tournaments with those teams specifically, which right. tend to be kind of the cream of the crop when it comes to, to hockey in the, in the Northeast. And, uh, you know, they, they call uh, Detroit Hockey Town and Chicago uh, as well. Uh, and coming out of Florida, you know, I'd kind of hit a ceiling per se. I was, I was playing up a couple levels in Florida mm-hmm. um, at that age, and it just kind of became time where it's like, all right, we can, we can plateau here or we can take them – take the jump and and i did and it was it was a wake-up call i mean mm. it was really uh you know i was i was a, a a decent hockey player and i i worked hard and i knew i was going to give it everything i got and you know that that first couple of months up there was uh the best time ever but also like uh i need to i need to kick it in the gear here and catch up yeah because these guys have been playing in this, you know, with these got with the same guys and, and the, at this level with these kids for for their whole lives, and I'm trying to work my way into the mix, and I'm just this like kid from Florida. Um, so it was it was a uh, it was definitely a learning experience, and then I found my way, and I actually started to uh, kind of uh, become part of the part of the uh, culture there and especially in Michigan and there were even there's even times like people that don't know me from Florida yeah that look up my my EP or anything like that uh will say you're that kid from Michigan like you're that <laughs> Michigan kid and it's like well actually believe it or not and but you kind of get you know once you build your sure. reputation then you kind of become one of them you know in a sense and then it really it really changed me as a player because you know, Florida hockey at the time, at least for me, especially at that age, was you know a little bit of run and gun. You know, you could you could get away with some things that mm-hmm. you definitely can't get away with in in Michigan or in Chicago. A little bit more physical, levels. a little bit more physical on the boards. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Not a, not the time and space or the room to right. You know, coast your way up the ice and try to toe drag somebody. You know, it was <laughs> you know. Move the puck quick, making plays, chipping pucks up the wall, and I learned that the hard way. Yeah, where it's like you know you go up the ice and center ice, try to make a move around somebody, get your head knocked off, back to the bench. Coach goes, "Yep, we're not in Florida anymore," yeah. and uh, <laughs> and that was uh, yeah. So that was uh, it. Was definitely it changed me as a player for sure, and I really started to play 
a different style of hockey. And then, you know, you work you work what you've got into that as well. You sure. find your moments where you can maybe, you know, dance around a little bit and have some fun. And, and that's where, you know, I think each player kind of works their unique abilities into into the game itself. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was definitely something that paved the way for me as far as my hockey ability and and uh, and the and the player that I am today. Let's jump ahead a little bit. How did COVID change your life? Because you um, stopped playing for a few a couple years and everything. And I I know um, you know just from hearing you talk earlier, your dad passed away during that time. But talk a little bit about how COVID and while you were playing with the South Shore Kings in the NCDC, how that kind of changed your life a little bit. So uh, there was a little bit of a lull in my transition into junior hockey, and a lot of that had to do with my father and his condition. Yeah. Um, and and some personal things that I was I was dealing with at the time, um, and that had a lot to do with it because it was – it was hard, you know, especially uh, at, you know, 17, 18 years old. Uh, your emotions can kind of take hold of you. Oh, yeah. And you don't necessarily have the, the capacity or the ability to work your way through that in a uh, responsible way, I'll say. <laughs> I, I, uh, Tom, t- Tommy, when I was 18 years old, I was living with my grandfather when he passed away. Trust me, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, and uh, so all that aside, um, mm-hmm. he had had an operation in Michigan, um, which bought him some time, and he was actually due for another, which is, and he he hated doctors. He hated <laughs> doctors. He was a stubborn old man. He hated doctors, and he, he'd do anything he could to, to, to avoid going to a doctor. So sure. he was, you know doctoring himself and trying to beat it on his own. Like when he found out his heart was going bad, he developed AFib, which is like atrial fibrillation where the heart flutters, uh, so the, the heartbeats are regular, and what they had to do was go in and do a cardio version where yeah. they shock part of the heart and shock it back into rhythm pretty much. But when he initially found out, he was actually going to the eye doctor because his left eye was getting blurry, and they took his blood pressure, which he thought was weird because They'd never done that before, and he's he did it. And the doctor comes in and says, "Hey, uh, you need to get up and go to the hospital right now." And he's like, "What are you talking about?" And he said, "Your blood pressure is like 240 over, so like it's way past hypertension. Like you need you need to go." And so my dad, being my dad, went to the CVS. <laughs> and took the blood pressure himself. Of course. And tried to just, you know, whatever. And he changed his diet and whatnot. And all that. But it, it was the dam- damage done was damage done. So yeah. He did, he did his thing. And, uh, so my transition into junior hockey, he had just had this operation. And now I'm off. And we're, we're living in hotels, you know, and we're you know, on the suitcase at this point. And uh, I was actually at in Wilkes-Barre at the start in the N.A., start of the year uh but i arrived late uh due to some issues uh with everything that was going on and then ended up in the ncdc with south shore and it was looking like i was going to get moved on from there and with covid at the time at its peak yeah and every all the the news and nobody knows how serious we need to be taking this and talking about lockdowns and quarantines and all this stuff we inevitably decided that it was just best to 
find to go back home, you know, to kind of settle in and and get ourselves situated before we can't. Right. And you know, with his health and everything, so that's what we ended up doing. And then, sure enough, like as soon as we got back to Florida, lockdown. Yeah. Don't leave your apartments, masks, the whole thing. And Florida was honestly probably the best place to be at that time, um, as far as leniency was concerned. Sure. And so that's what we did. And I, you know, I spent three months in my room playing Xbox and doing nothing with my life. And then as things died down, uh, I wasn't really in the frame of mind to get back into hockey. I kind of had a, a bit of a better mindset at that point because mm-hmm. I set off, you know, at 13 to go to play hockey up north with a goal in mind that I, I clearly didn't reach. And I kind of said, all right, I'm going to put this away and, you know, whatnot. And I got a job working at the Home Depot, driving forklifts, loading delivery trucks and all that. But day by day, as time went on, I just found myself thinking mm-hmm. about hockey. Missing it. Like, more and more. And I'd be yeah. on my lunch break just – and in my head, I'm on the ice. And I just decided, you know, I was, I had worked my, my goal at the time was to kind of become, like kind of transition into adulthood and just get on my own. My parents were moving out to this retirement, you know, kind of, it's called the Villages in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's basically this big retirement community and they all drive around on golf carts, like these decked out <laughs> golf carts and these yeah. party towns and, you know, I was like, great, you know, good, you know, you guys have been slaving away for however we go, like, go enjoy yourselves, but I'm not going out there with you because there's <laughs> nothing out there for me, so I got my own apartment and, you know, worked my way into full time, but I'm, you know, I'm working, I'm working hard, and I was like, you know what, I was working just as hard playing hockey, I'm still young, I'm out, clearly I still, there's something in me that wants to be out there, so let's give this another shot, and I went to one of the local rinks that uh, I, well, local, it was, it was an hour away sure. uh, from me, but I, I knew the coaches there, and I knew if I went, uh, they would let me on the ice, no questions asked. And at the time, I didn't have the money to be paying for hockey or anything like that, so it was like, and I just quit my job in, in glorious fashion, so I was like, all right, nothing, no money, uh, I'm going to need help with rent this month, but I'm going to go play hockey. And that was, it was actually funny. I, I walked out of that job and I didn't say anything. And then they called my dad oh, and no. I was having Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner at my uncle's and my dad pulls me aside and we go into the garage and he's like, so how's work? Uh-oh. And I'm like, Uh-oh. uh, it's great. And he's like, yeah, so why haven't you showed up in three days? And I was like, ah. <laughs> and uh, and he's like, so what's going on? I'm like, I'm gonna play hockey again. He's like, yeah, I figured. And, and, yeah, and that was he knew. Uh, yeah, he knew. So, yeah, oh, absolutely. And then yeah. he was like, all right, well, if you need any help, you know. And at that time, thankfully, I still had him around to help me. Yeah. Um, and I was getting towards the end of 2020. Um, and uh, or actually, sorry, no, that was uh, yeah, no, yeah, it was getting towards the end of 2020. And um. Anyways, uh, yeah, so I went to the rink and eventually got a job there and started driving the Zamboni, and that's how I got, you know, to skate for free, kind of, and then just, you know, did what I knew how to do best, which was be a rink rat, help coaches out, build mm-hmm. relationships. Because I didn't have the money to be paying for lessons or training or any of that, or ice or any of that. So 
I worked my way into, uh, you know, developing some relationships. One in particular uh, was with this guy named Eric Perrin. And if you look him up, he had an extensive career in, in Europe, uh, mainly in Finland. I think he played in Switzerland and Russia as well, played in the K. Yeah. Uh, played in the American League, uh, played in the NHL, won a cup with the Lightning. And it was like one of those things like, how did I end up here and how did I end up getting train, training from this guy? Because like, and he, I, I couldn't have, I couldn't be more blessed to have had him take me under his wing and, and really mentor me and help me through all the things that I was going through, which was, you know, the uncertainty of whether I'm doing the right thing or not. And if, you know, I'm chasing ghosts and, you know, that sort of thing. And, and then my father passed and, you know, he was there for me when that happened and, you know, just kind of kept me on the straight and narrow and kept me from falling into the wrong, uh, into the wrong ways and, and that sort of thing. And that's how I ended up, uh, in Binghamton, uh, through him. He, he knew, uh, Brant's dad yeah. who, that's crazy. uh, lived down in Florida. It's crazy. Like the hockey world is so small. Yeah. It's insane. And Brant's dad, Michael Sherwood, shot a text to his, his son who had just taken the job in Binghamton and said, hey, there's this kid down here. You, you might want to take a look at him. And that's how I ended up at the free agent camp in Chicago. And, you know, I just kept my head down, worked hard, and, you know, it's all it's all gone pretty good so far. Yeah, so for some of the old school Power Play post-show fans have been listening to the show since 2004, Eric Perrin played for the Hershey Bears in 2003-2004 and 2004-2005 before yep. making it up into, uh, well, he went to the Swiss A League and then and then went and played um, for Tampa Bay and Atlanta Thrashers before going back over to Europe again. Uh, so we, we, we're, we're definitely familiar with, uh, with, with Perrin and everything. And that, that's, to me, that story is just... I've heard it twice now, and it's just amazing to me that someone can be off for a few years and just based on work ethic, knowing the right people sometimes. And I know that sounds – sometimes people say, oh, that's a bad thing that you know the right people. But working hard gets you to the point where you know a lot of people and you network and, you, and whatnot. Absolutely. And, and so that's not always a bad thing. So people have to – it's not Kardashian here. You know, it's not like – you know, yeah. it's, it's not like you know Chloe Kardashian and she called up uh, Brent Sherwood and said, "Hey, give this guy, you know, a, a chance." This is yeah. the hockey community no. helping each other out, which is I, I oh, absolutely, absolutely I absolutely love that. So, what was the camp like in Chicago? What did you think of Brent and those guys that came out there and, and worked you guys? So, uh, to kind of touch back just for sure. a second on what you said, uh, you're absolutely right. It, it was hard fought. And it didn't happen right away. Like I said, like this was 2020, yeah, 2020, 2021 when I when I went back to the rink to start playing hockey again. And it wasn't until this year, yeah, that I that I got this opportunity. And I had my ups and downs in that rink training, working with Eric. You know, we had our we had our ups and downs, and it was a it was a labor of love. And I definitely had to prove myself and prove that it it was that I was worth the time that he was an effort that he put into me. Yeah. And the same thing goes, like you said, for the, the Chicago camp, it was, I had to prove that I was worth uh, a look because as far as everybody else is concerned, I'm just this kid that hasn't played hockey in three years. 
And we got guys coming out of college. We got guys coming out of juniors that they've been watching that have proved that they still got it, you know, and that they can contribute. And I'm just this this long shot of a, okay, let's see what you got. And that's kind of that's what it was. I went to Chicago, and uh, Brant ran an amazing camp. Um, he he was involved from from the jump. I mean, from the moment you walked in the door to uh, the moment you left, uh, engaging with the players, uh, getting to know them personally, getting mm-hmm. to know them as as people and off the uh, and on the ice as well, just evaluating and uh, very very clear on what he was looking for and. Kind of, you know, I can remember uh, distinctly a moment in camp where he stopped the game, came down, got everybody together, and said, "Hey, look, um, I just want to let you guys know it's going to take more than just scoring goals to make this team." Sure. Yeah. So I need to see you guys step up the physicality. I need you. I need to see. I need to see more. You know, I could go down the list, but he's just like, I need to see you guys do more than just some fancy moves um and that that really set the tone uh that you know you really need to be an all-around hockey player in order to play for me because i'm not just going to take some kid that's a liability that you know can yeah score a fancy goal here and there but i can't trust him on the back end or i can't Mm -hmm. you know trust him to do the things that i need him to do away from the puck Sure. And that's uh, and that's been a process for me as well. You know, being out of the game for three years, it was it was again almost kind of like felt like going to Chicago for that first time. It was like a wake up, like oh, okay, I need to. You know, this isn't this isn't Daytona Men's League anymore. <laughs> I need to. No. <laughs> I need yeah. I need to uh, kind of relearn some things in a way. And it's it's again been a labor of love. And he's he's stuck by me, and he's. And he's kept me uh, true, and 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 ga- given me the opportunity to make those mistakes and and make up for them as well. You've scored so eight. You've scored eight goals so far this season, and your role on this team is almost like a, a Swiss Army knife. You have to do different things, and in you know where Brant, uh, you know, uh, uh, puts you in to the game, whether it's the tenth forward, whether you're on the first line with like a guy like Connor Smith or something to that effect, or you're on the third line with Josh Fletcher and Andrew Logar and, and those guys, you, you kind of have to play whatever role they're looking for, and you seem comfortable doing that. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's one of those things. Like it's, uh, it reminds me of a question that uh, people always ask me, uh, which is like, what position do you play? Or like, what do you, what do you play? <laughs> And as, as time goes on, uh, especially when you start to, to climb through these levels, it becomes, I do whatever I'm need, wherever, I do, I do whatever it takes. Like, I, I, I will play wherever they need me. Right. Apart from, I don't think I could strap on the goalie pads. I, I think that would be a disaster. So, but, so Connor, um, so Connor can play forward, but you're saying, I'm probably not going to step in his, uh, skates. Uh, Connor Smith is a, is a phenomenal. No, I meant, I meant Connor McAnanima. Oh, sorry. Because yeah. he played uh, forward for no. one game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I forgot about that. Yes. No, I could not. No, I could not put on the goalie gear. That, that okay. man is a legend. And he, <laughs> he, 
Like, I mean, he was on the bench, and he's like, put me out. I got the legs. And he had the legs. He was zipping around out there. It was so – that was one of those things, like, that'll that'll be a, a memory that I look back on. Well, a story that I tell for the rest of my life. It, I, it, it, not just that, but, I mean – when he when he talks to his grandkids, he'd be like, "Yep, yep, yep." Uh, I had an assist in a in a game as a goalie and an assist as a forward, and the grandkids would be like, "What, Dad? What, what, Grandpa? What are you talking about?" But uh-huh. it's pretty cool, though. Yep. Oh man, he's yeah, he's a man of many talents for sure. So, um, so Tommy, but yeah, it's just uh, it's just being adaptable, I guess. Yeah. You know, just trying to do what you can to help your team win and do whatever is needed and being able to play with everybody I think is a necessity uh, for, for not just me, I think just everybody. And I don't think there's a player on this team that can't be thrown into any situation uh, and not thrive. Uh, we got Jesse Anderson who uh, plays D and forward, mm-hmm. plays center and wing. Uh, I mean, he does it all. And I mean, there's players on this team that can definitely do uh Anything that is needed in order to in order to keep us going. What is what is the goal for you this season, and what is the goal for this team? Um, for me, I I'm just so, I'm just so glad to be here. You know what I mean. And my goal is to is to continue to do everything I can mm-hmm. to be what this team needs me to be and do what this team needs me to do and be a part of, of the winning process. And I think that's, that is, uh, you know, the goal for any team. But for us specifically, I mean, we have such a special group here. And I, I cannot see us not taking it home this year. And, and that is, that's been the goal from day one. And, uh, and Brant really, like, I can remember the meeting when he addressed all of us mm-hmm. at the start of training camp was, if you're not here to win, then we're going to find out yeah. real quick. Because that's, that's what we're here to do, and you need to get on that train now. And that's, and that's been the mindset from the start. And we as a group have really fought through adversity in many ways both behind the scenes and on the ice itself. And time and time again, we find a way to come together in the best way possible. And nobody's ever pointing fingers. Nobody's ever, you know, had a negative attitude. It's always just guys picking each other up and, and moving forward and, and always positive, always positive and always finding a way to bounce back mm-hmm. and do what it takes to, to get where we're, inevitably going to end up which is is a winning season uh, and Tom- that is yeah no absolutely tommy let's go back to the uh the 6-2 win over the danbury hatricks uh, in binghamton just this past saturday you scored the what eventually became the the game-winning goal but it puts your team up three to one when you score a goal as nice and as pretty as that does when when you're in the zone and you have a mindset and you know exactly what you're going to do does the game slow down just a little bit when you're just that locked in and you're able to make a goal like that? Yeah, it, it reminds me of. Have you seen uh, Ford versus Ferrari? Matt Damon and yeah, uh, yes. Um, why can't I think of his name? 
uh, whatever. No, I got to think of his name now. The driver, uh, Miles, who plays nice. the driver. Uh, anyways, there's a scene where he's talking to his son, and he's talking about uh, the track, and this is right before Lamont, and he says, when you're going that fast, uh, Christian Bale. Christian yes, Bale. Christian talking Bale. talking about, uh, he says, when you're going that fast, and uh, I'm going to have trouble explaining this because uh, he does it with his hands, but he's got his hands on his eyes like blinders, and he's like, you don't do this, and he closes his hands down, you do this. And when you're going that fast, everything everything opens up, yeah. and it's almost like you're moving, in, even though you're going 200 miles an hour, you're moving in slow motion, and you can see everything. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what I would describe it as, especially when you're when you get in the in the heat of a game, and that's I mean that's one of the best moments. Like there's there there's nothing else to be thought about, and you're not worried about the next second, and you're not worried about the past second. You're just literally engaged with everything that's going on on the ice, and um. I just wish I could have stayed on my feet after I scored. <laughs> uh, if you watch it back, uh, for some reason, whenever I score a highlight real goal, yeah. I end up, uh, I was telling Nikita on the bench, I was like, nice hit, because he just barreled into me, and he's a big boy, and he just knocked me right on my ass. And, <laughs> oh, man, I was, I was saying, like, for some reason, after I score, I forget how to skate. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, well, you're excited. But, you're excited. Yeah, of course, of course. But, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, and that building too. I mean, our fan base is—I could—it's—it's it's the best all around. Our facility, our team, our coaching staff, and our fan base—it's is, just the best. And scoring a goal in that building and hearing the crowd—it's—it's it's a feeling like no other. And uh, I was just happy. I was just really, really happy. And it was—it was—it was a hard-fought game. And I'm glad we we came away with the win there. Well, hopefully in the next uh, 27 games, you can have another eight or nine goals uh, to add uh, to that tally and hopefully stay on your skates. You do realize now every time I'm up in the press box looking down, I'm going to be going, oh, time he scored. Oh, he fell down again. Okay. So uh-huh. Maybe I'll make a thing out of it. Maybe I'll just make it like, like you know, you do it on accident once yeah. and it just becomes a thing. Well, Tyson like, Kirk. No, no, I meant to. Well, Tyson Kirby likes to go over and pose with his own pitcher on the ice when he scores a goal. So that's that's a thing for him, oh, too. Yeah. So oh, absolutely. It's patented. It's original. I don't think anybody else is ever allowed to do that besides him. <laughs> well, does anybody else have their picture on the uh, boards at, at the moment? I don't think so. So I'm yeah. sure they do, but even if they do, they're not allowed to do it. That's his thing. Nobody well, can do it. He is the captain and everything. Uh, Tommy, thank you very much for coming on the show. We definitely really appreciate it. And, uh, uh, you know, again, good luck uh, the rest of the way with the Black Bears. And, you know, uh, maybe as we get closer to the playoffs, we'll get you back on. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This was, uh, this was great. Great. And we'll be right back right after this, right here on the Power Play Post Show. you're a Binghamton hockey fan, then you need to check out BinghamtonHockey.net for all your news, stats, information, the Binghamton Hockey Hall of Fame, top 10 lists, profiles, and so much more. That's BinghamtonHockey.net. 
net. You're listening to the Power Play Post Show. And welcome back, everybody, to the Power Play Post Show. Thank you very much for listening to this week's show. Hey, listen, our next show is going to be on Sunday night. It'll be the weekend wrap-up show as we talk about the games against the Watertown Wolves and the Elmira River Sharks. Hey, also, just to let you know, we did a little bit more with Tommy Ray. As a matter of fact, he will be debuting a new segment for us on the weekend wrap-up show. It is Six More Questions With. And obviously, on Sunday's show, it'll be Six More Questions With Tommy Ray. So check those out. Um, a lot of fun. And appreciate Tommy Ray uh, for coming on the show. Now, the Power Play Post Show is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and iHeartRadio. Just search Power Play Post Show on whichever platform you listen to your podcast and subscribe. Please join the Power Play Post Show Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and search for the Power Play Post Show. Uh, check out BinghamtonHockey.net for all your Binghamton hockey information and curiosity. Thank you to Rob Lopolis, our MC, John Petitucci, our musical director, and our guest this week, Binghamton Black Bears forward, Tommy Ray. I am Bob Howard, and you have been listening to the Power Play Post Show. for listening to this edition of the Power Play Post Show. Be sure to tune in next week to the Box Studios Radio Network for all the latest Black Bears news and interviews from around minor league hockey. The Power Play Post Show would like to thank John Patitucci for all the music you hear 